When the praises go up, the blessings come down. These are the immortal words of Chicago street poet Chance the Rapper. And these words, as beautiful as they are, summarize the utter confusion our culture has when it comes to the concept of blessing. And Chance's words cause us to ask lots of questions like, uh, is the blessed life really something you can manufacture through praise and worship? Is blessedness a spiritual state that we conjure up ourselves uh, with our relationship with God as if he were a proverbial vending machine and our songs of worship were quarters and dimes? Moreover, what is blessing? Who defines it? And how do you get it? And maybe most importantly of all, once you are a hashtag blessed, is being blessed even something that's desirable? And who gets to determine who gets to be blessed and who isn't? This week, we're closing out a 10-week series on the story of God that we have called Genesis Episodes. Uh, These top 10 stories or narratives capture the heart of the story of God in the book of Genesis and kind of relay to us what the book of Genesis is all about. Uh, Today, I have the privilege of closing out this series, and I want to do so by examining this crucial theme of blessing through the lives of a father and a son, a man named Jacob and his son named Joseph, if you brought your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you did, go ahead and grab them and turn with me or scroll with me to Genesis chapter 48. Genesis 48 verses 8 through 20 is where we'll spend our time together this morning. Uh, We won't read all of chapters 48 through 50 today. You're welcome. But if you were to read the last three chapters of Genesis, you would notice this key word blessing appearing again and again. Uh, In chapters 48 and 49 alone, the term blessing or bless is used nine times. If you were to step back and study the life of this man named Jacob as a whole from all all the way back in chapters 27 through chapters 50, you'd see that this word bless and its variants are used 37 times in the life of Jacob. And not just in chapters 27 through 50, but in all of Genesis, you don't get very far without seeing this word blessing again and again, and again. Uh, In fact, I read this terrific article during my study uh, I came across called A Biblical Theology of Blessing in Genesis. And in it, the author helpfully notes how the book of Genesis, this is pretty crazy, get ready for this, contains nearly one-sixth of all the biblical references to blessing. All right, so massive theme in this first book of the Bible. And I was like, wow, this is really good. Like, this guy seems to know his stuff. So I bounced my eyes to the top of the page just to see who wrote it. And lo and behold, it said Matt Champlin. (laughs) Which, uh, for those of you who don't know, this is our friend who uh, lives overseas and serves as an English teacher. And uh, he is a biblical scholar. And uh, all of a sudden, I had this, uh, like, Buddy the Elf moment of like, oh, my gosh, I know him. This is my Santa. Thank you, Matt. This is so exciting. And the best part is, Matt did all my homework for me. Shout out to Matt if you're listening to this message. Uh, Seriously, you can Google, not now, not now, uh, but if you were to Google a biblical theology of blessing in Genesis, Matt Champlin, this article would pop up, and it's really, really good. Uh, In it, Professor Champlin has this money baller quote, which I think helpfully reframes our perspective on blessing. Uh, Matt writes this, in Genesis, blessing does not have a meaning outside of relationship with God. Whatever else it implies, fertility, life, riches, etc., relationship with God is always the pivot point of blessing. 
Let me say that again. Relationship with God is always the pivot point of blessing. How to preach right there. We could just get up, go home, be on your way, but we will not. Instead, I want to help all of us, myself included, radically renegotiate our relationship with God in the way that he blesses us. Uh, Rather than trying to manufacturing blessing for ourselves, we should see God as the source of all blessing. If you're taking notes today, and I hope that you are, I've called my message, The Unbelievable Blessing. The Unbelievable Blessing. Uh, In our series in Genesis so far, uh, we have encountered blessing several, several times. And I'm curious to hear from you. What are some of the passages of scripture, some of the stories that come to mind when you think of maybe things or people that have been blessed by God? Uh, You think back about the creation of the world, Noah and the flood, the ark, the rainbow. Uh, You think about uh, the call of Abraham and the unilateral covenant that God made with him. You think about Jacob wrestling with God in the night. Who or what are some of the things, you can just shout them out, that have been blessed by God so far in the story? Loud and proud, what'd you say? What'd you say? The Beatitudes? Okay, so that's, yes, awesome, great, Matthew, New Testament, specifically in Genesis. What are some of the things that have been blessed by God? Yes, we'll go here, Patty. Sarah's womb. Sarah's womb, awesome, really good. Anybody else, maybe in your Bible reading, you've noticed some, this theme of blessing? Yep, Hector? Joseph's captivity in Egypt. Yeah, it says that God was with him. Pretty amazing. Anybody else? Sherry? Hannah? Hannah? Okay, yes. Yep, later in the, in the story as well. That's all right. That's, you, hey, this is the story of God. It's all right. We're seeing how Genesis connects to all the scriptures, so that's great. Yeah, Ken, did you have a promise to bless all people on the earth through Abraham? Very good. That is, that is the preeminent blessing in Genesis chapter 12 that we find. That's so, so good. Many of these have been named, um, but just to review, in the creation account, animals, humanity, and the Sabbath are blessed. Uh, not long after that, God blesses Noah and his descendants. Uh, this is pretty amazing. Uh, three times in the book of Genesis, the Lord himself is blessed. Uh, the Lord is blessed by Noah, Melchizedek, and Abraham's servant. Uh, Abram, as Ken just said, so helpfully is blessed, and not just by anyone, but by God, five times in three verses. Uh, Genesis 12, 1 through 3. This is like the heart of blessing in Genesis. Isaac is blessed. Jacob is blessed. Or better yet, he steals a blessing from his older brother. And finally, Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, is blessed by Jacob after Jacob reunites with Joseph in Egypt. Uh, And throughout this story of God, the big idea, the big, big idea, the take-home message of this story of Genesis is that despite evil intentions, God the king establishes his kingdom to bless his people for their good. Despite evil intentions, God the king establishes his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven to bless his people for their good. And in chapter 48, we see that the king's kingdom continues to expand beyond creation, beyond the patriarchs, into the life of this man named Joseph and his two sons. Look down with me in Genesis chapter 48, verses 8 through 11. In this section of scripture, we see a grandfather's embrace. Genesis 48, verses 8 through 11 says this. When Israel saw Joseph's son, he said, who are these? Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. 
Now the eyes of Israel or Jacob were dim with age that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. (laughs) And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Powerful, powerful scene. Uh, At this particular point in the narrative, Jacob has been in Egypt for about 17 years. Um, And Joseph's boys, his his two boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, they aren't little kids anymore. Uh, Most scholars think they're around 20 years old. Uh, And in verse 8, Israel sees his grandkids and asks Joseph, who are these? And and now, of course, Jacob knew who they were. Uh, If you look back at the first uh, seven verses of chapter 48, you see that uh, Jacob had just finished talking with his son about the boys. Uh, So he's not confused. This isn't a question of ignorance or confusion. Uh, This was probably more like a formal question. Um, One of the best analogies that we have is at a marriage ceremony when the minister says, who gives this woman to this man? Uh, This is kind of a similar process that uh, it looks like Jacob is going through. Uh, So he he knows who these kids are, just like the minister hopefully know who the parents are of the daughter who is marrying the man. Um, But I think that gives a better picture of what's happening in this adoption ceremony that's being staged in Genesis 48. Uh, My wife, Kara, is not here this morning. She's in Tennessee celebrating the one-year birthday of our niece, Hope. Uh, There she is, such a cutie, Hope Jordan. And uh, I hate I couldn't be there this weekend. They're having a blast. And uh, Hope is my brother-in-law's daughter. Uh, She's a beautiful, beautiful little girl. But before uh, my in-laws, Josh and Kelsey, had Hope, uh, they were involved in foster care for several years. Um, And two of the kids they fostered and eventually adopted are named Graham and Mario. And uh, I love these boys so much. Uh, these are my little nephews. And uh, they are so sweet. It was, it was over Zoom during COVID, but Kara and I and several of uh, Josh and Kelsey's friends and family members had the privilege of participating in their adoption day. Has anybody been in the courtroom during like an adoption day, been a part of an adoption? <laughs> or few, like if that's not the gospel, I don't know what is. Like it is one of the most beautiful, beautiful moments. Uh, we were on Zoom, and the judge asked my brother and sister-in-law questions like, uh, uh, Mr. Ward, do you understand that these boys are now to become your sons? Do you understand that Graham and Mario will receive new names just as if they had been born to you? Uh, Mr. Ward, do you understand that, you will, that your sons will now have full access to everything you own and that one day everything you have will become theirs? Man, if that is not the gospel, I don't know what is. These boys are now every bit a part of that family, as sweet little hope is. That is a picture of what this scene is like. It says in verses 9 through 10 that Israel, old with age, blesses the boys, hugs the boys, kisses the boys. Man, parents and grandparents, do not underestimate the value of positive physical affection toward your kids. I imagine these boys must have lived in the embrace of the grandfather for the rest of their lives. Unbelievable blessing they received. And their grandfather can't believe it himself. In verse 11, Israel says to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. If you've ever experienced the pain of family separation, been separate from a loved one, maybe you can relate to Jacob. Maybe you, like Jacob, know a loved one who, like Joseph, has suffered incarceration. No sweeter feeling than being reunited with a loved one who is leaving prison. Maybe you thought 
your son or daughter was lost or dead, that uh, the relationship was severed. You really didn't even know where they are. And then just imagine, like Jacob, in his kindness, God was able to reunite you with your kid. And then imagine, like Jacob, you not only get to uh, reunite with your kid, you get to meet your grandkids. There's a son who was once long lost, and now there's grandkids who are unexpected. This is the double blessing of God. And it's what God is in the business of doing, of restoring what the enemy has stolen, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we would have life and life abundantly. An unbelievable blessing to receive from him. And in verses 12 and 13, we see this son's expectation it says, then Joseph removed them from his knees and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left hand and Manasseh in his left hand toward Israel's right hand and brought them near. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands for Manasseh was the firstborn. Joel and Ezra, would you mind joining me on stage real quick? Come on forward. I think you know where this is going. And uh, I need uh, Pastor Alvaro. Would you join me on stage, Pastor Alvaro? Come on, give them a hand as these guys come up. All right. Muchas gracias, Señor. Gracias, gracias, Padre. All right. Take a seat, take a seat. All right, so we're going to do a little acting here. Come over here, Micah. Come over here, Ezzy. You can sit down. You can sit down. Gracias, gracias. I'm sorry. Wait, who am I calling Ezzy? You're Ezzy. This is Joel. But you have Micah's name tag on. That's why I called you Micah. Chucklehead. All right, we're going to do a little play acting this morning. All right, so Pastor Alvaro is going to be Jacob. He's not. He's, he's a lot younger than Jacob was. He's, he's, he's good. And then you are the older, so you're going to be Manasseh. I'm so sorry. And then, Joel, you get to be Ephraim, all right? And so this is, this is the stage that's being set for us this morning, all right? So we got, we got let's see here. You guys got to switch. I'm going to play Joseph. I have my man Ezra right here who's going to represent Manasseh. He's on my left hand. And I'm bringing him toward Pastor Alvaro who represents Jacob because this is the right hand. And all throughout Scripture, the right hand represents blessing and honor and favor. Maybe you think of Jesus ascended to heaven, and then he's seated at the right hand of the Father on high. Uh, Joel, sadly, is the younger. He is Ephraim, and it looks at first like he's going to be on Joseph's right-hand side so that he can come to the left-hand side of Alvaro. And so then Joseph gets down, he bows his knees, and this, he's, I mean, he's setting this thing on a tee. <laughs> like, you can't mess this up. Like, come on, Dad, you can do this. And then in an unexpected moment, you guys go ahead and kneel down real quick. Jacob has the audacity to switch his hands and exchange the blessing over the younger instead of the older. Come on, can we give them a round of applause? Well done, guys. Good job. You guys get an Oscar for that acting performance. Well done. That's the scene. That's the scene of this grandfather who begins blessing his grandkids, uh, but even though the grandkids don't really know what's going on, it seems like the son does, and the son is upset. But I think what's so powerful about this story is that Jacob, Pastor Alvaro Israel, had lived his life wrestling with the blessing. 
he lived so much of his life uh, feeling like he had a lack of blessing. And yet in this moment, he has so internalized the blessing of God that he's able to receive it and release it to others. And he does it in the way that God blesses in Genesis. He does it by blessing, not the older, as would have been customary in that culture. He blesses the younger. The same way uh, that Abel was blessed over Cain. The same way uh, that Isaac was blessed instead of his brother. The same way that Jacob was blessed instead of Esau. Again and again, throughout the biblical story, even though this was counter to the ancient culture, God was in the business of doing a beautiful, unbelievable exchange. Amen. We see this blessing exchanged and described in verses 15 through 16 says, and he, that is Jacob, blessed Joseph and said, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. There's too much packed into this blessing to summarize these uh, two verses, but I just want to quickly note for you how frequently Jacob references God. Four times in this short section, he says, the God before whom, verse 15, the God who, verse 15, the angel who, verse 16, which is probably another reference to God, the angel of the Lord, a pre-incarnate Christ who appeared to Jacob as he wrestled him through the night. And then later in verse 20, Jacob says, finally, fourthly, uh, may God make you. God, 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 God. One of my favorite professors and friends from Denver Seminary, Ryan Tafalowski, says, God is the subject of all the verbs that matter. Amen. Remember Matt's quote from earlier? In Genesis, blessing does not have a meaning outside of relationship with God. Whatever else it implies, relationship with God is always the pivot point of blessing. God is the subject of all the verbs that matter. Amen. And this is so important because if God is the source of blessing, this means I cannot be the source of blessing. This means that I cannot self-bless. I need a source outside of me to come and bless me. And it's my pastoral conviction this morning that many of us are striving in life, wrestling with the blessing of God, because we are trying to bless ourselves. But you need a source outside of yourself in the form of God coming through this conduit to give you the life and the love and the peace that you seek so desperately. Amen. And I think what's so amazing is that uh, Jacob had to have known that it wasn't really him who was doing the blessing. It was God. No, Jacob's blessing, hyper-emphasis on God being the agent of blessing, seems intentional. Because, again, this is in line with the larger story of God. God doing the unbelievable, switching his hands so that he would bless the younger over the older. And somehow Jacob, the man who had wrestled with the blessing of God all of his life, has so come to terms with God's blessing and the way that blessing works in God's economy that he's finally able to receive and release the blessing to others. This is a picture of aging well, my friends. This is no cranky, critical, upset, curmudgeonly grandpa. No, this is someone who has a heart that's full of love, full of hope, full of favor, full of acceptance for the younger generation. But not Joseph. No, in verses 17 through 18, we see in the air and rage. 
Uh, Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall become a people and he also shall be great. Anyone here have aging parents? Maybe they're, yep, <laughs> Brayden raised his hand. <laughs> ah, I guess it is relative. Oh, that's awesome. All right, the Holy Spirit just left after that. Come back. Uh, If you have aging parents, maybe you can relate. I think that Joseph thinks that Jacob is having what they call a geriatric moment, right? Like, uh, come on, old man. Uh, Is this the trickster playing tricks again? Like, I just set this up on a tee for you. Like, knock it off. Uh, But I think as we've seen, uh, Jacob knows, and I think Joseph knows, this was not a mistake. Now, Joseph senses that. Uh, most English translations in verse 17 say that Joseph was displeased by what his father did. But the Hebrew is much stronger than that. Uh, it literally says what Jacob did was evil in Joseph's eyes. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden back in Genesis 3? Uh, they're in front of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're being sent, uh, tempted by the serpent. It, it says they saw Except that time it wasn't bad, it it seemed good to them, and so they took. Same three verbs here in Genesis 48. That's what Joseph does. Sin has the same cycle every single time. Uh, Joseph sees something, he doesn't like it, and he grabs his dad's hand to move it, and he doesn't ask very politely, does he? Uh, This is a command. He says, put your hand over here. Now look, I, I don't know what your family was like growing up. Uh, but in the Hamburg home, if I talk to my daddy that way, whew, if I grabbed his hand, folks, I might not have a hand by the time it was all said and done. Anybody else share my trauma? I mean, Lord Jesus, that, was, that would not have flown. But what I love is Jacob's response. He doesn't scold his son. He doesn't berate him. He doesn't yell at him. He just, in kindness and compassion, says, I know, my son. I know. I know. This wasn't a mistake. This wasn't a faux pas. This wasn't a trick. This was intentional. And he reassures them that this promise is from God. But Joseph doesn't like it. Let me ask you, how do you react whenever God blesses others in a manner you don't approve? How do you react when you think God blesses people who don't really deserve it? Like Joseph, do you get upset? Well, then like Joseph, you should realize that you are already blessed. Of all people in this story, Joseph should have been the happiest about what was happening. If you remember, Joseph wasn't the oldest. He was the youngest. And he still received the father's favor the same way that his dad did over Esau, the same way Isaac got it over Ishmael, the same way Cain got it over Abel. And in verse 15 even says that Jacob blessed who? Jacob blessed Joseph. Can you believe that? I mean, how many times in our lives are we literally standing in the blessing of God and we're busy critiquing what he's doing to other people? Lord, have mercy. Come on, friends. Let me tell you this. Until you receive God's blessing for yourself, you'll reject it in everyone else. Until you receive your adoption, your belovedness as God's child, you will resist and reject it in the lives of everyone else around you. And we have to remember that whenever we find ourselves becoming resentful about the blessing of God towards others, we have to remind ourselves that in Christ, we are already blessed. 
whenever we find ourselves becoming the self-righteous arbiters about who should be blessed and who should not be, uh, because we're insecure about not getting enough attention ourselves, we have to remember that in Christ, I have already received all the blessing that I could ever need. In Christ, the great exchange of blessing has already happened once and for all. When the one who knew no sin became sin so that we in him might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. I'm already good enough. You've already been blessed, my friends. Why on earth would you critique and criticize what God does to someone else? Because until you receive God's blessing for yourself, you will reject it in everyone else. Even though Joseph is upset, even though he's resisting what's happening, his father is very, very kind. But he lets him know this was no mistake. This is a promise that needs to be enforced. Verse 19 through 20, he says, Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. These verses are super, super important because they point to the fact that, uh, not just to the fact that I, singular, have been blessed, but that we, plural, have been blessed. Amen. Uh, this scene in Genesis 48, my friends, is a beautiful foretaste of the multi-ethnic family of God. In case you didn't catch it, Uh, Ephraim and Manasseh were Egyptian-born boys. These weren't good little Israelites. These were Gentiles, you might say, who had been adopted into God's family. And as a result, just as God so powerfully promised their great-great-grandfather Abram all the way back in chapter 12, so now in chapter 48, God promises that through these, uh, you might call them pagan kids, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Jews and Gentiles. Israelites and Egyptians, uh, folks from the Middle East and folks from the Midwest, uh, all the people of the world can be blessed through this family's line. How, you ask? By a son who was cursed. Galatians 3, 13 through 14, quoting Deuteronomy 27, 26 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Don't you see? This is the switch. This is the great exchange. That Jesus is our Manasseh. Jesus is our elder brother. Jesus didn't just lose a blessing. He received a curse. So that now anyone, Jew or Gentile, uh, Egyptian or Israelite, that's found in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit can receive freely the blessing of the Father. Jesus didn't just receive a lesser blessing. He experienced the greatest curse on the cross. So that now anyone can come to him and receive the Father's affection. Because when God looks at us, he sees his son. He says, this is my daughter. This is my son whom I love and in whom I am well pleased. And now as Ephesians 1 says, we can enjoy every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places where Jesus, the King of Kings is ruling and reigning and is blessed himself forevermore. What an unbelievable blessing this is. That despite evil intentions, God the King establishes his kingdom to bless his people for their good. 
We don't get to bless ourselves, my friends. No, 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 no. We need someone far greater than ourselves to do that. But thanks to King Jesus, you and I have received the blessing of adoption, of sonship, of daughtership, to become the heirs of the Most High King. And that is what the story of Genesis is all about. Come on, can we thank God for his word this morning?